Barney's doesn't guarantee success. Vogue doesn't guarantee success. What guarantees success is if you actually find an audience that actually loves your product. We've been very slow to change in terms of how technology has impacted our lives. A new social network can pop up overnight and completely change our business model. Hello and welcome to the Glossy Podcast, our weekly show where we discuss fashion, luxury, and technology with the people making change happen. I'm your host, Hilary Milanese, and today's guest is Bill Wackerman, the CEO of Wilhelmina Models. Bill discussed Instagram's influence on the modeling industry, diversity, and how the agency is expanding its business. Hope you enjoy it. Hi, Bill. Hi, how are you? Great. So let's talk about Wilhelmina when you inherited the business in 2015. It was three years ago, but I feel like the modeling industry has changed more rapidly over the past five, 10 years than it did for a long time before that. So what was the what was the setting when you when you first got there? Well, first, the setting was I didn't know when I joined Wilhelmina that there was a person, Wilhelmina, and I sort of felt like a designer coming into the archives of a great fashion house, mm-hmm. there was this really storied, historyed past of this woman who started this agency in 1967. And if you didn't know her story, it really blew me away. And I didn't know it before joining. She was moved over here from Germany when she was uh, 11 years old. And she went to go visit a friend with a friend to visit a modeling agency. And of course, like t- typical Hollywood story, the modeling casting person wasn't interested in the friend, they were interested in, in her. Mm-hmm. And her name was Gertrude Bremenberg at the time. And she signs up for this modeling agency, she changes her name to Winnie Hart, and she's working in Chicago. Somehow she finds her way to New York to Eileen Ford, mm-hmm. who meets her, and she's this gorgeous, like, five foot eleven statuesque beauty. And she says, well, this will never do. You, you're not refined. Your look's not refined. You're not refined. I'm going to send you to Paris. And so bye-bye to Winnie and to Gertrude. And in Paris, she becomes Wilhelmina, mm-hmm. this new name, this new perso- persona. And she comes back and she does incredibly well. In fact, she holds the record for the most amount of covers in American Vogue in history, 26. Oh, wow. And at the height of her career, she does something that women don't do which is, I don't want to be in front of the camera, I want to own the camera. Mm-hmm. I'm going to launch my own agency in 1967 at a time when women were just not doing that. I mean, Eileen Ford was running Ford, but Jerry Ford was really running Ford, right? Mm-hmm. Wilhelmina said, I'm going to start my own agency. And she started it with this idea that flawed beauty was the most beautiful. And I'll give you an example of why that's relevant today for our company. There was a model called Beverly Johnson at the time who was at uh, Ford with Eileen Ford. And she was a African-American model. And Eileen Ford told her, Vogue will never put you on the cover. You'll never be on a cover of a magazine mm-hmm. in 1960s as a woman of color. And Wilhelmina started Wilhelmina. She went to Beverly Johnson and said, come join me. I don't believe that. I believe that if you come join my agency, I will get you on the cover of Vogue. Mm-hmm. And she did. And Beverly Johnson is the first woman of cover, color to ever be on the cover of a Vogue issue. Wow. And that sort of philosophy today seems more relevant than ever, right? You're Mm -hmm. talking about diversity, you're talking about body positivity, but that was always Wilhelmina's mission. That was her idea. She believed that flawed beauty was the most interesting. And she found tons of models, Gia, you know, the famous model Gia, that, Mm -hmm. you know, that story, that was her. And so that taking those sort of treasure trove of great history and and that narrative and bringing it into a modern technology-based 
sort of culture today was what my mission is. Right. So it just became all the more relevant. Yes. And you came over from Condé Nast. Yes. Is that right? And so how did your background in publishing set you up for, for where you are now? What did you really apply to to the job that you had learned on the Condé Nast side? Well, there was a lot of similarities. We I worked at Condé Nast for 21 years and was very lucky to work in publishing at the time when publishing was what it was. I mean, obviously technology has disrupted all sorts of businesses and, and, and has had a great effect on the publishing industry. Um, but photo shoots, models, casting, content creation, I mean, those were all things that we were doing every day of the week. Mm-hmm. Moving over to the modeling side of the business, we were able to take part of that dialogue, which was the model part of it, but since then, we've expanded into content creation at Wilhelmina and creating Wilhelmina Studio. We've gotten into celebrity in a really heavy way because celebrities are driving so much of the dialogue because they have huge audiences mm-hmm. and brands want audiences. Right. And so it was actually a more natural transition than one would may think. Mm-hmm. And so so when you started three years ago, what, what was the first thing you said, okay, here's how I'm going to take this agency and make it my own? Where Obviously, you mentioned the, the agency for the past 50 years has had this this niche where it finds you know an alternative look, a way to look at beauty. What does that look like today for, for you? Well, the first thing that I did was to really try to raise the level of professionalism in the industry. Mm-hmm. Because the modeling industry is not known as as has been widely reported uh, in the last couple of years, the modeling industry hasn't always been known for the highest level of professionalism. Mm-hmm. And for us, we're a publicly traded company. We're the only publicly traded modeling agency in the world. Oh wow! Um, last year, we did thirty one thousand eight hundred transactions, which means we're booking a model every three minutes, twenty four hours a day, seven days a week, three hundred sixty five mm-hmm. days a year. So. There are different types of business modeling agencies. You know, there are mom and pop shops. It's almost like retail. You can be Neiman Marcus or you could have three stores. Right. And somehow someone puts them all together in retail, but they're really not. They're quite different businesses. Mm -hmm. And so making sure that our level of professionalism with human resources, with call numbers, making sure our models get paid on time, Mm -hmm. making sure that we, our agents and everyone in our company, you know, acts and behaves in the most professional manner was my number one mission mm-hmm. because I don't think you can get anything done if the culture is not right. Right. Yeah. So so did you hire some people? How did you sort of shape the business with that mission in mind? We did. We, we, we started things that modeling agencies don't have, which is a human resources department. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there was no one. People just got hired and fired to save your last day. I'm like you can, you can't say that to people. Like, you know, when I start coming from Condé Nast, I'm like, you can't act that way. You can't just, you know, fire someone without, we sit them down. We should yeah. talk about performance and mm-hmm. what they're doing. And, you know, there, there were not a lot of those procedures in place. And so we brought some in-house counsel. Uh, there's an amazing um, partner I have, uh, Marilee Holmes, who is our in-house counsel and our COO, who bringing some people with some different backgrounds that didn't come from the modeling, you know, whether legal or um, we brought in a new CFO, we brought in a new management team mm-hmm. into place to really help be able to not just uh, strategize, but to be able to enact and, uh, and uh, make that happen. Great. And and so let's talk about the talent. Uh, you mentioned technology has changed a lot of the publishing business, and that obviously relates to the modeling agency business as well. Just because, you know, the, the people who are at the forefront of what customers and consumers are, are scrolling through and looking at on a daily basis have changed so drastically. So how do you sort of take that by the reins and, and make sure that you are reacting to that and, and have a relevant group of, of talent that you're working with? Who who are the people and how's that changed? Well, it's really interesting that you say that because 
as we're in the Instagram age, and the fact that we're saying we're in an Instagram age mm-hmm. <laughs> alone says a lot. Yes. <laughs> um, so two things come out of that. One is there's an openness to be able to scout and find talent that we didn't have before. Uh-huh. You know, finding a model, sort of like finding a needle in a haystack. So having Instagram and the ability to see multiple images of people is a great thing from a scouting perspective. Mm-hmm. The challenge side of that is that everyone thinks they can be a model. Mm. And while I, I would use the analogy of, of maybe the music industry, being a superstar isn't just about having the great greatest voice. Mm-hmm. It's about who really has the talent to be a superstar and who can give a performance. Right. Being a professional model is a performance just like anything else. And I, to give people sort of a background on what that means, if you're working with a, with a brand and they hire you, you've got three hours to get 26 looks. Mm-hmm. That's a business. Like, and if you don't know your angles, if you don't know how to model, regardless of how pretty you are or how handsome a guy you are, mm-hmm. if you can't get those looks and get those shots you're not going to get the call back for another job. So being a professional model isn't just about being the prettiest girl or guy. It's about knowing how to model. And there really is a business and understanding of knowing how to model, knowing your body, knowing how to pose. And so we're able to find that talent maybe, and we can access them through Instagram or other ways we couldn't reach them before. Mm -hmm. But training someone to be a real model and making them want to do that and to be able to show up on time, be professional, know how to get through 26 looks. In, or some people, for some of the e-com business, you may have 100 looks in six hours to mm-hmm. go through. Mm-hmm. So you, you're you're like a machine. you got to be on. Right. That's not just taking one Instagram post a day and thinking, I look really pretty. I could be a model. <laughs> right. So does that make your job harder? Or how has it changed the way that you need to work with the talent? It, it's managing expectations, I think, probably would be the biggest challenge for a millennial mm-hmm. generation that... Mm-hmm. that um, you know, may have always been told that everyone on the soccer team is the is a winner. <laughs> mm-hmm. And not that you're not a winner, but at the end of the day, you have to really work at it. It's just like anything in life that you want to be successful at. You're going to have to put in a lot of time and work into it. And, right. And you can. Right. And and I think what, you know, what you were mentioning earlier, too, it's like, oh, well, I have this massive audience on Instagram and people are coming there to look at me. It's like, is that what modeling is now? And, and how does that change the way that brands want to work with the agency? Do, are they asking for different things? Like, you know, do you have to have a big following as a model? Like, is it is it kind of like a cycle then? Yeah. Well, it's, <laughs> well, it's so crazy that you say that because that's probably one of the biggest misconceptions that people should know. Today, we're in a day where we're. we're who is your following? Mm-hmm. So if you're a really pretty girl and you're doing bikini shots and you've got these, you know, cheek shots, right? Mm-hmm. And you're coming to us saying, I want to be a model. Who is your audience? What woman is, is buying from you? Mm-hmm. Because today they're not just looking at the audience. You may have a million people that follow you, but when you do the analytics behind it, if 80% of them are guys between 18 and 25, a brand that's trying to sell cosmetics to women has no interest in that, regardless of the size of your audience. Right. It's who is actually following you. And so we've had some more success with people with much smaller audiences, but they're targeted to the right people. They're targeted to someone who specializes in talking about beauty. Mm-hmm. Then the beauty brands are interested in because they know that that affinity is there. But size of audience does not equate at all mm-hmm to relevance from a marketing standpoint. It's who is the audience right? and how engaged are they? So are brands getting better about realizing that? Yes. There's such a deeper understanding today with analytics of of who's following, what they're following, and what they want from that audience. Mm-hmm. If you think about 
my old history in the publishing world, back in the day, if you were, uh, you made a guy's t-shirt and you wanted to sell a guy's t-shirt, you, you know, I could walk on the street with a sign that said t-shirt for sale, or I would go to a brand like GQ and I would say, okay, GQ reaches a million guys that like fashion. So if you like fashion, you probably may like a t-shirt. Mm-hmm. Today, there's so much more information available to those brands where they can pinpoint people who only buy T-shirts on Wednesday from this type of you know, audience. And right. now you may have one person with an audience that's three times the size of the audience of GQ, mm-hmm. right? right, at a million. So it's changed the game and it's never going back. Yeah, absolutely. And so as you know, you're thinking about all of this customer insight and what performs and, and what time of day and what mediums people are using to look at uh, different different types of brand creative and, and other things. How do you, how, what does that mean for like what the success of a model is? Like are the sta- like stepping stones to, you know, on the way to supermodel, are they the same? Like the, the bookings that you can score, like if it's so scattered, it seems like how do you measure success for, for the models that that you're booking? Well, two things. I think every model that comes in our doors, we have a conversation with, which is what are the goals you're trying to get? Mm-hmm. Some goals are, I'm, you know, I, I, I'm from Norway. I want to put myself through school and I want to make money to put myself through school and I ultimately want to be a nurse and move back to Norway. Mm-hmm. That's, that's a goal and a strategy and we can help you with that. Some are, I'm coming from Brazil and I want to be a supermodel. I want to be a Victoria's Secret model or I want to be on Sports Illustrated. You know, that's a different path because sexy girl model then isn't runway girl model, right? Mm-hmm. So first we have to sit down and talk about who you are, what the potential is, and what you want to get out of this business because mm-hmm. it is a business right? and you're going to do work. So what is it that you want to achieve and what's our goals for a year or three years? So that question will change on what that model wants and what they're trying to achieve. Um, I will tell you, though, that having multi-dimensional personalities, having multiple things happening, being an amazing model who is also rides a tricycle and plays piano and, you know, was an Olympic fencer, helps Mm -hmm. because the brands today are looking for a fuller picture. It's not just about the pretty face. They want to know who the person is. and, And there's an authenticity that they're trying to tap into and a relevancy with consumers that wasn't asked five years ago. Uh-huh. And, do you, and do you think that's better overall for the industry? I, th- I mean, I think it's great. Mm-hmm. I think the deeper we go into who people are and what makes people beautiful, right? I'm all for, right? I think there's surface beauty and then there's beauty that comes from within. And I think you can have surface beauty and not be a successful model if you really don't have an amazing heart and mm-hmm. you're not an amazing person. And today, I'm glad to see um, opening up in, in, in not just in diversity. If you looked at the statistics for who walked down the runways, 60% of people of color this past fashion season, which is an incredible statement that five years ago seemed not likely that we would be saying. If you think about body positivity in our curve division, which we were the first Molly Ainsley in the United States to have a plus-size curve division, um, that's great news mm-hmm. because beauty comes in all shapes and sizes, and that's right. something that we're we're always about. Right? Yeah. To touch on, the, you know, the the push for diversity in modeling, uh, you have size, age, race. What what do you guys do to make sure that you're putting the the right people in front of brands and and, and really pushing for a more full picture of of who people are seeing in campaigns and on the runway? Well, we have um, at Wilhelmina, we have had for 25 years uh, a curve division. Mm-hmm. And, and so we 
because Wilhelmina Cooper's mission was about celebrating, um, you know, beauty in all shapes and sizes, we, we've been at the forefront of that. We have something called an icons division that we've had for almost 20 years, which is unfortunately 40 plus makes you an icon. I, I, I you know, I, I hope we're, we get to an age where 40 is not an, you know, iconic yeah. having passed it. Right. <laughs> but, um, we're, we have an icons division. We've had that for a long time. We have a sports division, which is celebrating women and men who's, who have incredible bodies and they're incredible athletes. And that's a type of beauty as well that, that should be brought to the table for our brands. And so we, and not just in athletic, um, not just in athletic apparel, but we have had some um, ballet dancers and some rhythmic gymnastics and some track and field stars who have walked runways. And so we have the ability to try to find all different types of beauty um, and, and bring it to those brands while they're casting their runways, their campaigns, and then their e-com. Mm-hmm. What do you do when a, if a brand comes to you and clearly don't have the values uh, in, you know, in making sure that they they have a diverse project, projection that they're showing people. Like, how do you s- try to sway them in a different direction because it, it mirrors your values as a as an agency? Well, first we talk to the models about any jobs that you know that they want to go on. Mm-hmm. Meaning, you can say no. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just an option. It's an offer, right? And I think so many people come into the industry so hungry. For any offer, the hardest thing that we do is to say no, mm-hmm. because you know while there are some models out there today that are very famous coming from wealthy families, most don't. Most come from some part of the world where their beauty or the way they look is their ticket out. Mm-hmm. And so, coming to New York or coming to Los Angeles or London or any of our offices, and coming and saying, "I want to make money." And where they're saying, no, you need to hold back. You need to not do these jobs because you're worth more or you you can develop into a bigger star. Mm-hmm. It's probably the hardest conversation to have when someone needs that money right. to be able to pay their rent, to be able to send back home. Mm-hmm. But we have those conversations every day and quite honestly with people. And so if the brand doesn't feel right or if the brand values mm-hmm. don't feel like that's what you're about, we should just say no. Right. Believe in your believe in your skill set. Believe in what who you are, and we'll find the right opportunity for you. Mm-hmm. And and you mentioned that celebrities are are really important to, to brands today because of their following. So it ties back into, you know, the audience that that brands are buying into, uh, but as well as the the authenticity. So what does that mean for for the modeling industry as a whole? If it's if it's sort of weighted toward the celebrity side. I think a model is, we should look at it this way. A model is, in my estimation, someone who creates fantasy. Because mm-hmm. what you're buying is a fantasy, right? You're buying that if I buy that perfume, you know, I'll have this amazing night. Or if I wear that shirt, you know, I'm going to find the girl, the guy of my dreams, mm-hmm. whatever it may be. I mean, that's the business of fashion, right? We're, we're becoming characters in this fantasy element of it. And the models help push that narrative along. So anyone who pushes that narrative along to me is a model. That could mean that you're a celebrity. It could mean that you're a five foot eleven, you know, statuesque beauty. It could mean that you're an e-com person in Los Angeles. That's five five, because if you're creating the fantasy of beach and sun and fun, that's equally as valuable certainly in the market and valuable to us. Mm-hmm. And so I don't see a distinction between what a celebrity brings and what a model brings. Mm-hmm. I see. A relatability, you know, in who that person is, and can that person help convey whatever the story of that campaign is? 
So, so how do you balance the idea of selling a fantasy versus the the authenticity? Because there's just so much more content, and I think people are, are consuming a lot of uh, you know imagery and, and campaigns that aren't in like the glossy pages of a magazine. So, how do you sort of reckon with those those two sides of the coin? I, I think things go in cycles mm-hmm. all the time. And having worked in the industry for 25 years, I've watched many fashion cycles come and, and go. And I think we're in a cycle now where, I mean, we're saying authenticity, but we're selling authenticity. Mm-hmm. When you're selling something, please know that you're still selling it, yes. right? <laughs> we're, you know, we're doing it because consumers want to see that mm-hmm. and they are relating to it. But mm-hmm. the second they stop relating to it, those brands will move on to some other agenda or some other cycle that's 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 in at the moment. Right. And so when I see these campaigns, I I think that there is a there is a story under there. Let's take a beauty campaign, right? Where they're not where they're not using traditional models, you know, let's take CoverGirl where they're using, you know, people in all different walks of life. Mm-hmm. But if you watch the music that's being played to that, there's this empowerment message that's coming from it. So that is a marketing strategy, right? right? The marketing strategy happens to be empowerment. Mm-hmm. Marketing strategy happens to say, well, we'll be more relatable and we'll just we'll distinguish our brand from these other beauty brands by choosing this type of model or this type of person. You know, I, I I don't really see it as any different. It just happens to be that's their strategy of the moment. Right. And and so what does that mean for you know, diversity as a whole in the industry, do you think that's something that has the the chance of falling out of fashion, as, at least how brands see it as a, as a, as a marketing strategy? I hope not. Mm-hmm. Um, but I watched this movie, Colette, this weekend. I don't know if you've seen it. The new one with Keira Knightley. Yeah, I have Keira not Knightley. seen it yet. It's really good. And it, it, this, if you, for those that don't know the story, it's a story of the this um, author, French author, who sort of penned these books that her husband purported to have written, but she really wrote them, right? And they were wildly successful. We're still talking about the same subject 100 years ago. I mean, it's 100 (laughs) years. So you're asking me, will I think that everything's changed? We're still having that conversation Mm -hmm. 100 years later. So will we still be having this conversation 100 years from now? I mean, I'd like to believe not. I hope not. But I'm not so sure that we won't. Right. What do you think? What do you think needs to happen? Where is the Where is the progress being held back? Because uh, you mentioned you have divisions at the agency where you know it's not just one plus size model or one African American model that that's like a card that agencies play. Because I think we've we've seen that in the past few years as well. Uh, that it's like one model being overused. I mean, when you think plus size model, you think Ashley Graham. That's one person. So I think that. You know, she can't carry the the right. weight of the change yeah. of the industry on her shoulders. So, what is it? What do you think it looks like for opening up the entire industry for a more equal playing field across these these categories? And what what's holding that back? I think I'm not sure. I think consumer behavior is actually holding it back. If we're really being honest, if I go back to my days at in the publishing world, it's what people say versus what they do. Hmm. Right, and we would do tons of consumer um, insights into this, and you would you would ask people on the street, do you want to see a attractive but average looking guy or girl? And the feedback would be like, absolutely, yes, you go. That's what I want. I that's what we want. I I want to see that. This is our time. Go. You put it on the cover, and it doesn't sell. And so there's this dichotomy, right? I think that's being played out in real time right now between what the, the, what we speak and what we want and what we actually purchase and buy. 
And what's fascinating now is all this is happening, but yet brands like Gucci and all these brands that are doing these super ornamental, super expensive. What is that 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 T-shirt, the French T-shirt, eight hundred dollar T-shirts, right? Vestments. Oh, Vetmont. Vetmont. Uh huh. Right. <laughs> so we're we're talking about realness. We're talking about you know keeping it real, but yet we're what we want is this label that's eight hundred dollars on a T-shirt. Mm-hmm. That's what I mean. That that permeates that thought pattern permeates modeling and fashion all over the place. And so consumers ultimately make the decisions. The brands are not sitting there saying we're going to limit this. If if consumers are going to buy the product with that, they're going to go with you know what's going to move product. Mm-hmm. So it's but, kind of rec- reconciling with fashions like inner crisis of, yeah. of being pulled in two different directions. Or human nature, right? Yeah. What do we say versus what we really do? Mm-hmm. How do you think social media has opened up that that conversation? Because I think, you know, we do see people being vocal. You have a chance to have a platform and talk directly to brands now. Uh, does that does that play into decisions as well? I think social media certainly plays into the strategies of brands and their and their campaigns mm-hmm. because they have a direct voice now to the consumers, right? Before they didn't have this one-on-one conversation. Mm-hmm. They can tell what the consumer likes, how they respond, and what type of person they're they're reacting to. And I'll give you an example. We it's changed technology has changed modeling through e-com. Because everyone talks about the runways. Okay, runways are a couple of times a year, and they happen, you know, you know, four weeks, right, in, in, our, in the cycle. Right. And then we do ad campaigns, right? But the real money and modeling that's happening every day is e-com, because every day on the website, any website that you go to is going to have pictures of a guys or girls there wearing the clothes, right? Mm-hmm. And that's changed the dynamic. Let's just take guys for a second. Real guys... The average guy, let's just say that, the average guy doesn't want to see a male model wearing the clothes. Right. He doesn't relate to it. Right. He wants to see someone who looks closer to him, right? The best looking barista at the Brooklyn coffee house, right? Uh-huh. Maybe he's got a beard. Maybe he's got some tats. Five years ago, we didn't sign that model. Mm-hmm. That was not a working model. Mm-hmm. We were signing this super handsome guy. Today, because guys are online shopping for themselves and they want to see real people wearing the clothes that look like them, we're now casting those type of guys in in ecom every day. They're working every day of the week. Mm-hmm. The same with women. If you're if you're not a size, if you're not five eleven, and you're buying a pair of jeans, right? You want to kind of see it on someone who looks maybe closer to your body type. Mm-hmm. And so the good news in all of that is technology is expanding the type of models, the number of models, and the number of shoots that they're they're on on a daily basis. Right. So again, consumer behavior really drives so much of this discussion more than someone sitting behind a desk, a CMO saying, today we're gonna do that. It's really about them selling those jeans. And if, it, if it's good to put it on a size 34, a woman with a 34 waist, and that sells those jeans. That's what they're going to do, right? So, so in that sense, when people do see themselves represented, they they spend more. The evidence is there. Yes. So, if you go by that, then the then it should be shifting in that direction longer longer term because you have the very clear evidence. You're shopping for yourself based on what you're seeing on the website. It's no longer just like a shirt hanging on a rack. Um. So then, you know, it's from a shopping that way. standpoint, uh-huh. yes. But not- from an imagery standpoint mm-hmm. and the fantasy part of that dialogue, I think we've still got a little way to go. Mm-hmm. Interesting. 
Um, and so, so that relates, you know, this this customer influence relates back to uh, Wilhelmina as a brand itself. So, mm-hmm. so how what have you guys done to to sort of put yourself out there um, in front of in front of the customer and build a bigger conversation around what you're doing as an agency? I know you have like a Snapchat series yep. coming out. How is that? How has that sort of played into your strategy? Super exciting um, Snapchat series called Vivian uh, mm-hmm. that we co-produced with uh, Snap and E the E Channel. Entertainment uh, will launch October 22nd on Snapchat, and it follows the trials and tribulations of Vivian Benitez, our Los Angeles scout, mm-hmm. who's the youngest scout in in uh, certainly Wilhelmina history. She's 21 years old, and she's our LA scout, and so she's this really dynamic, exciting, fun personality who is out there scouting, street scouting, every day. And also trying to follow her own dreams in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. And so for us, the value of expanding the Wilhelmina brand just beyond the core B2B modeling business is about finding talent. Because finding models, while there are many people who want to be a model, finding a really good model that can have a sustainable career is much more difficult than one thinks. Mm -hmm. And so I want any girl or guy who's sitting somewhere in Uzbekistan in Ohio, in you know South America, who can be a model to say, oh, I've heard of a name, Wilhelmina. Let me mm-hmm. let me let me call those guys, or I want to talk to them. Yeah. that's a value for us, and so we want to expand our name both for the financial community, mm-hmm. because the reason we're the only publicly traded modeling agency is people are interested in fashion, in entertainment, right, and in sports. But if you think about those categories, you really can't invest in them. Mm-hmm. Most of those companies are privately held companies. And so allowing Wilhelmina to be publicly traded allowed people to invest in an industry that they were excited about mm-hmm. and give them an opportunity to sort of play a role in the future of it. So we're interested in expanding our name for the financial community, and we're interested in expanding it to reach potential models that would be able to make a choice when, they're, when they have, you know, a choice to sign with someone. Right. How else has being public shaped your your strategy as a CEO? I mean, we've got quarterly reporting. Right. We've got, I was on investor calls last night. Yeah, I mean, there's a real to. business <laughs> side to our business. Mm-hmm. And, and we have to produce growth and we have to continue to expand. And so we've been expanding in different areas. We launched a part of our business called Aperture, which is our commercial representation. And when I mean commercial, I mean television commercials. Mm. Uh, and uh, we didn't have that opportunity before. And so now if we sign talent both to our agency, we can represent them for television commercials and we can represent actors for television commercials that are not signed to the modeling business. And that business has been doing quite, 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 quite well. We had three spots in the Super Bowl this year that were all our actors. And we just booked um, one of our models, uh, uh, a plus size model uh, called Barbie Fiera, mm-hmm. um, just got the lead role in the new HBO show Euphoria. Mm. Uh, that's She's starring with Zendaya. And so she's a Aperture talent that came through the modeling side of the business and now is only represented by Aperture. Mm-hmm. So we've expanded in, in that area. We also um, launched a company called Wilhelmina Studio, which does content creation. In the past uh, two and a half years, we've worked with 22 brands from Disney to L'Oreal, and we just completed um, the, all the casting on the latest Diesel ad campaign for Hate Couture. Mm-hmm. So we're doing a lot of exciting things that are pushing out what a modern agency is today, not just strictly runway modeling. Right. Yeah. So how do you think that relates back to the future of the industry? Uh, obviously, from the agency standpoint, you have to diversify revenue streams, uh, relevancy. 
what what about what happens to like the more traditional formats like runway, like print? Do you see the future of that and how you're placing your is chips? It, where is their print? Where is I mean, I, having spent 21 years, where is that print? <laughs> yeah, I don't know if it's. <laughs> I think it's changing. The, the good news is, um, what reports of everything's what's that? What's that old line? Reports of everything, death are, are premature. Reports of my d- demise are premature. Right. Print is going away for mm-hmm. sure, mm-hmm. but brands are doing more, different things that are really exciting. Let's, let's take Calvin Klein for example. Traditionally people would do two print campaigns, one in September and one in March, right, mm-hmm. for the seasons. Mm-hmm. And then they would run them in media for the next you know, four or five months, and that would be it. But today, brands, because it's such digitally based, Calvin Klein is doing a new campaign every three months. Right. So they're shooting, they're creating new content. Now, it may just be digitally led, but the opportunity for modeling and for endorsements and opportunities are actually expanding mm-hmm. because as we're blowing through content and we're consuming so much more content than we, I mean, the idea of waiting for a monthly mag, I mean, just the absurdity now, right? right? Feels, <laughs> you know, archaic. Yeah. Because we're just consuming so much more content. Mm-hmm. And so that's a good thing for our industry. Right. That's not a bad thing at all. It's just changing, right? It's sort of, we're, we're in the, we're not in the, we're not in the train business. We're in the transportation business. Mm-hmm. So yeah. <laughs> I don't want to be in the train business. We're going to ch- grow and change with whatever the needs of the, cons- of the marketplace are. Mm-hmm. And we have talent to help fulfill those needs. So mm-hmm. I feel good about it. It's re- actually a, a really exciting time to be in this industry. Right. There's more, a lot more opportunity. And so how has that changed what's happening on set too? Like, do you have to make the most of every single minute? Because you have to have, imagine brands have to do so much more, but I don't think their budgets have really skyrocketed alongside that by any means. So how do you help or work with brands to make the most of, of one shoot, one, one set of creative to build more content throughout the year? Well, we're getting the concept of just understanding um, digital. When I when I got to the agency, when I think my first week on the job, we had just booked uh, one of our models to be one of the new faces of Maybelline, mm-hmm. and I was talking to the agent about the contract. And so they're talking about the contract, and they're going through, and it you know it was a nice um, contract for this model, but he was leading with all the print stuff, and then I said, "What about the digital?" Mm-hmm. And the financial sort of compensation for digital was m- minuscule. Mm. And I said to the agent, what's going on? He said, oh, oh, that's only digital. So that was three years ago. But there was a world of agents who only thought in terms of print or billboard or outdoor. Yeah. And, oh, that's just digital. Well, now digital is only it. Right. right. So we're we as an industry and we as agents and professionals are getting much smarter to push back to the clients who are getting away with quite a bit saying mm-hmm. it's only digital. Right. But 50 million people may see this and only you know 5 million we're going to see a print ad, but right. you may have 50 million people that see it. So our ability to get appropriate compensation for the models from a digital perspective has been growing consistently. And I think most of the agencies are getting much, much smarter mm-hmm. of pushing back and, and um, getting appropriate fees for what may be a campaign that will live in perpetuity, right? right? Yeah. Forever. So so they kind of tried to stiff the, the digital side of... I think, they, <laughs> I think at the time there was not... I think there wasn't an understanding really through the industry. It was just a new game, right? Yeah. That needed to be learned and new rules that needed to be learned. Right. So, so we're almost out of time, but if you were to look ahead at you know, where you see the industry headed. We've talked about this in a few different ways, but what what platform do you think is has the most the most staying power and impact on this industry? You mean technology platform? And or any, any platform, just any sort of like means of of where you think that this that content is going to live. 
Well, it's fascinating to me now with our show on on Snapchat that these are four minute episodes. I I don't think I would have thought a couple of years ago that these four minute episodes would be engaging and I would want to tune in to watch another four. I would think, is that enough content? Mm -hmm. But it's done so well that the smaller the content, how quickly we're consuming them. Right. You know, I think almost anything is possible, right? Mm -hmm. We, We, you know, we may have successful shows that are three minutes long, right. you watch eight episodes and you feel like I just consumed it, right? It's sort of fa- you know, yeah. faster than Netflix. Yeah. So, so why Snapchat rather than Instagram? <laughs> 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 or where, you know, where did you see the, the audience there? Snapchat's audience of, for us, the, the, the value of Snapchat is they really speak to a, a female audience, a young female audience. Uh-huh. And I think Instagram does a great job. I mean, I'm obsessed with Instagram, but, mm-hmm. um, they really speak to a young woman. And for us, our message as Wilhelmina as an agency is really about reaching young women. We, we, listen, we love our male models. We, you know, that's great. But the industry is still 80% female. You know that the modeling industry is the only industry in the world where women out earn their male counterparts. Mm. Well, you know, that's, I guess, a win. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And so, so as we're, we're wrapping up, where do you see what buying power shifting in the future? If you were to like lay your, your bets on, on one group of, of people who are really going to change the way that we consume media and therefore buy products, who would it be? Well, I'm hoping, I'm hoping as a, as a dad that has, you know, millennial children, I'm hoping that this generation of millennials sticks to their guns and continues to, and the generation after millennials, quite frankly, Mm -hmm. continues to push for acceptance, for, um, an ability to, from a modeling standpoint, to look beyond just the surface and see who that person is. Mm-hmm. And to me, when I believe the customer is always really ultimately in control of what any brand's going to do, you know, if it doesn't work, they yank it, right? When they do, when brands make a misstep, right, and the market reacts unfavorably, mm-hmm. they yank the ad, they yank the product. So right. I, I would want this generation to feel like they're empowered to really not just give lip service to it, but to really believe in it and to stay with it mm-hmm. and to stick with some of the ideals and some of the great things that are happening now in the industry. Right. It's really exciting and refreshing to see. Great. Well, thank you so much, Bill. We're, we're out of time, but I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much, guys. And thank you for listening. On November 8th, be sure to tune in to our first ever episode of the Glossy Beauty Podcast, hosted by our beauty editor, Priya Rao, with guest Miranda Kerr. The Glossy Podcast will be back next week with another episode. A special thanks to Gianna Cappadona, the producer of this podcast. If you've been enjoying the Glossy podcast and aren't a Glossy Plus subscriber yet, it's time to consider joining to get access to all of Glossy's content, member events, ticket discounts, Slack chats, and more. As a reward for listening, use the code podcast at glossy.co slash plus to get 20% off an annual subscription. And as always, be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and Anchor FM and leave us any feedback you have. <laughs>